This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1973's Torso, directed by Sergio Martino, but first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, well, uh, it was inauguration day today, so, um, I think that's a major life update for everyone listening to this, probably, (laughs) so take that however you need to, and then, you know, uh, I do just wanted to, I did want to just at least, like, touch on that. It's kind of a weird day, right? I feel like, um, I don't know about you, B, but, like, so, B and I both work at Starbucks, and, um... But I manage one, and I don't know how much you had this come up at your work, but, like, they were really freaking out this week about, like, protests or – not protests, just, like, large crowds of people, right? Like, it wasn't even, like, protests. They were just, like, really worried that, like, people were going to be out and about like crazy. And so, um, like, all day today, I I, because I took today off, and, like, all day today, I just kept waiting for, like, a call. I was, like, something going down. Like, do I have to go down? And finally, I just drove out there because I had to go grocery shopping anyways. I was, like, how's it been today? And they're, like, slow. And I was, like, so we're all good? And they're, like, yep. And I was, like, cool. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) But uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I live in the capital of California. Um, So, like, I mean, I don't – downtown is pretty much – been a ghost town since COVID hit. That's also where I used to work down. I used to work downtown full-time when I was a full-time designer before I had Liam. Um, I worked right by the Capitol um, in like a typical nine to five design office job. Um, And it downtown was heavily hit by COVID because most of that economy thrives on the state workers And also our event center where the Sacramento Kings play as well. And because they have a very nice stadium, a lot of very large um, like musical acts come there. Uh, And so that's the only other driving source for business in downtown. So it's been a ghost town down there pretty much for the last year. It was hit really, really hard um, by the BLM um, protests um, and then addition, you know, there was a lot of like property destruction, like during that time, um, as well. 
Uh, a lot of sto stores closed, a lot of businesses closed. It's a little like apocalyptic down there right now. Um, I've only been down there like once, but I still freelance for my old boss and he'll, he'll send me photos and it's a little eerie down there. All the places are still boarded up and um, it's a little crazy, but they've had a you know, large number of people gathering for a variety of reasons to protest, which I'm like all for protesting. I don't really care what side you're on. You can definitely protest. Um, there's been a lot of like uh, Trump protests, um, people protesting the election, protesting COVID, et cetera. That's been like a lot of the protests down there. Um, and so they were very, very prepared downtown. Um, the National Guard was there uh, right outside my old shop was a giant tank. And, um, it just, if it, it feels a little like otherworldly for all of the events that have taken place in the last year. Um, I mean, honestly, I do feel really grateful that I no longer work down there. Um, I wouldn't have, uh, if I would have stayed with that job instead of leaving to be home with Liam, I would have gotten laid off anyways. Um, so it's funny how life works out that way. Um, but uh, I didn't work today, um, so I work part-time at Starbucks besides freelance designing. I did not work at Starbucks today. I actually don't work the rest of the week. I wouldn't have put it past my boss to have done that intentionally because, you know, there's, there has been a lot of talk and there was a lot of worry that there'd be some kind of organizing in a negative way today. Um so, yeah, I mean, people are really upset over this election and uh, you just don't don't know what people are going to do. So I'm glad people were prepared. I'm glad nothing happened. Um, at least nothing happened here. Yeah, um, nothing here either. I haven't seen really okay. anything. So, yeah. yeah, it was like weird. I felt like everyone was kind of waiting for something to happen and then things went exactly like they were supposed to. Um, right, which so, is awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's a big sigh of relief. So. Yeah, so that's a big life date that we're all dealing with. Any of our American listeners, and even globally, I'm sure you've been paying attention um, a little bit to the news. So that's what happened uh, worldwide on a more individual level. Uh, I was just telling B, I, so I worked at GameStop for 11 years. Growing up, I loved video games. And then working at GameStop for 11 years really drove all that out of me. Uh, so I actually don't play very often anymore because I got kind of burned out. And then also I just don't really have time, unfortunately, with all of the other hobbies and things that I have. So it's few and far between, but I had some friends talking about this game called Immortals Phoenix Rising. That's basically, they kept comparing it to like Zelda, but in Greek mythology world. And I love Greek mythology. So I checked out some reviews and like watched some gameplay of it. And it looked right up my alley, and uh, needless to say, I picked it up two days ago, and I've already dropped about 12 hours into it. Um, it's really fun, just super easy to pick up and play. Um, you play as this character named Phoenix, who is like a Typhon. The Titan gets loose, and he has like trapped all the gods, and Zeus is trying to figure out how to defeat him. And like you play as this character named Phoenix, who's like a, a Greek warrior, and it's kind of his journey. But it's really funny, like really smartly written. They take pot shots at Zeus all the time in it. How it's told is like Prometheus is telling the story of Phoenix to Zeus. So he's like telling your story. So they're kind of narrating your adventure as you're going through it. Um, and Zeus will like make comments about 
how stupid mortals are, and then Prometheus will like make a comment back about how terrible he is. Um, so if you're a Greek myth nerd, it's actually really funny. And then if just if you like adventure games, it's super fun. Um, it's it's like open world, but not too big. I can't do huge open world anymore because it's just too much. Um, I used to love open world games. I'd be like, yeah, give me a giant map. And now that I'm older, I'm like, give me like five, six hours of story and, you know, a couple side missions. And that's good for me. Um, but that's been really fun. And then uh, it dropped this week. So I can finally talk, or it's dropping this week. So I can finally talk about it. Um, Psycho Goreman is coming out um which it is as ridiculous as the name implies um it is going to be on shutter it is a new movie from um steven i always forget his last name steven kostansky kostansky yeah and he um he did the void and he did the new leprechaun movie that was like a sequel to the original leprechaun and i actually really liked it um and this movie is super fun it's it's like a send-up to old 80s um kind of like kids adventure movies where you know a kid would stumble across an alien or a monster or something and kind of befriend it um and it's the same thing like this kid stumbles across psycho Goreman, and he's like this evil tyrant warlord from outer space but she has his like power stone and it gives her control over him so he has to do everything she tells him to um so it's basically like if you took one of those old 80s movies and just like amped it way up on the violence and the gore um and then threw in kind of like a lot of it feels kind of like power rangers with like the monster design and the fights and stuff um Mm -hmm. yeah but it's just super fun like it's just one of those like really fun easy to throw on like really bloody um really funny like a lot of it reminded me of calvin and Hobbes because he's like very existential and like they'll be having these like existential conversations about life and death and everything and then you know it'll break down into this like giant fight or a basketball match or like they accidentally turn one of their friends into a giant brain and there's like lots of like super weird goofy stuff like that but definitely check it out if you get a chance over on shutter it's going to be out um I really had a lot of fun with it. And I like Kostansky a lot because he started as a special effects artist. So like everything he does has a lot of practical um, and he just has a lot of fun with that. Um, And then also while you're over on Shutter, check out, it'll also be out is the queen of black magic. And it's from, it's an Indonesian film. um, And it's, it's kind of, a lot of it reminds me of the ring not plot wise just like the way it sets up its scares and the way um it builds um because it it essentially it ends up being about like a witch um who is kind of like getting revenge on these people who grew up in this orphanage so like plot line it doesn't really follow the ring but there's just like a lot of the moments from the ring like that feeling of tension and then like the actual scares that reminded me a lot of it um and it's really good and the end is like the end goes off the rails with kind of um how brutal it gets like this a lot of these indonesian films they're like there's been an uptick in them um like impedagor and oh shoot there was another one and i can't there's quite a few i can't remember them now um but like they're they're really big on like kind of they're kind of violent but it's like very they do a lot of practical effects so it's like 
um, it's very effective, like the way it works. Uh, but I would check that one out too, because I thought it was very good. And it's uh, like three quarters of the movie is actually like really creepy, scary. And then it kind of like jumps into a really high um, octane final act. But that one's going to be on Shudder as well. Shudder's got like 11 original films coming out in the next two months or something. They've, they went on a, a tear of picking up properties last year. So keep your eyes peeled over there. But both of those I would highly suggest. Um, Psycho Goreman and uh, The Queen of Black Magic. I know he's up on all the new stuff. Yep. And uh, like, luckily I just, you know, usually I forget when it comes out. So I never ended up talking about it, but I just posted about those today. So I was like, Oh yeah, I can talk about those. Well, yeah. Cause you always run into that problem where you get these movies like months before they come out. Yeah. Especially like, I feel like it was worse during COVID because every, because like everyone was doing virtual. Yeah. And so like, it was one of those things, like everything got pushed and everything was going virtual. And so there was kind of just like, they were just throwing all these screeners out and then it was like, I just kept forgetting when they were dropping. Um, and so, you know, like at least, I mean, we'll see what it looks like now, but it, it, it kind of seems like we're going back to, a, uh, trying to get back to a normal movie schedule. We shall see. We shall see. Oh, B, you watched Soul finally? Finally. What do you mean Three finally? I know. You usually watch things a year later. I'm surprised you got around to it this soon, actually. Um, I mean, it's on Disney Plus and it's a cartoon, so I think we watched it the day it came out. <laughs> yeah, we watched it. It came out on Christmas, right? I think we watched it that yeah. day or the day after. Um, I mean, I've seen it in the background probably five or six times because Liam just has a certain like aesthetic for Pixar films that he really enjoys. And so – if it's like Pixar or it's animated similarly to Pixar, like he's usually down for it. Um, and so he – and he likes the music and it a lot. Um, so if you don't know, Soul is the new Pixar film that came out uh, in uh, last year. Um, it is just the story of this – it's essentially the story of this guy who um, is – finally given this opportunity and what he feels like is his big break. Um, and then he gets into an accident and stumbles into like kind of like a form of purgatory, like this, this weird in between stage of life where he's running into, he becomes his soul. Like it's, it's his soul and his soul is wandering around like this purgatory and he's running into other souls that are either, getting ready to go into life on earth or they're getting ready to go to the afterlife. Um, and he's very, very much determined to go back to earth. He is not ready. He feels like this happened right when his life was doing what he wanted it to do. Um, and he runs into a soul who has the opposite desire, who has been around for thousands of years and does not want to go to earth. Um, I, I loved the story, um, so much. And then of course, you know, then, then we dive into the real plot. Um, I love the story so much. Um, and I felt like it was really timely for sort of this place I am in my life and sort of my own personal goals to change my mindset a bit. Um, it can be really hard when you're 
goals and what you've pictured for your life changes. And I, you know, can definitely say that I'm not quite where I expected I would be at this point in my life. Um, and I had a really hard time with that the last couple of years. And part of the reason why I had such a hard time with that is because I'm so happy with where my life is. Um, but it's just not where I thought I'd be. Um, I've always been really, really, really career driven. And it's super hard for me to shift my mindset into reminding myself that I'm allowed to change my goals in life and I'm allowed to change my priorities and I'm, you know, allowed to be happy in the places I'm in in life, even if I'm not exactly where I want to be career wise. Um, and I know a lot of people would kill to be in my position as far as like my relationship and my, you know, my family. And I'm so thankful for those things. And I, I think I got pretty lucky to, to have those types of blessings so young. So it, the movie really is about sort of thinking about your purpose and what you're meant to do on this earth and sort of letting go of expectations. And yeah, I just, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and yeah, just a super great reminder to just sort of let yourself be happy in the moment and not be so focused on I'll be happy when, um, which I think we're all guilty of getting into that place of being like, well, you know, everything will be better when I get this job and when I move out of this place and, you know, when I find this person or when I got married and when I have kids, like that's when everything will be right. It's yeah, I'm sure it like will be better for sure, but that doesn't take away from what's good right now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's very, um, enjoy the journey, right? Like, I think that's mm -hmm. a big takeaway is like, it's good to have goals and it's good to have like strive for things, but don't forget while you're doing that to enjoy what's going on around you. And I agree. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like I love that message. And I think it's just like very, very important. And, um, yeah, I think everyone can probably do a better job of that. Like, I think I, it, like it, it resonated a lot with me too, because it was like, I mean, I made this move and everything and I'm working towards what I want to do. But like, obviously I'm like, I moved and then I'm like, okay, but now I need mm -hmm. to start going towards what I want to do. But like, even like watching that movie, I was, I don't know, like I've been, I have been a lot more appreciative lately of just like, like literally today I was actually laying in bed and I had, um, I was playing that game and I had the wind, like my slider open and I was, it was like beautiful out. And I was just like, this is really cool that I live here and like that mm -hmm. I'm here and that I got to do this and that I'm like trying. And so, yeah, I think it's just a great message to take away from it. Um, and plus, you know, Trent Reznor score with Atticus Ross is always awesome. And mm -hmm. I will never say no to more Tina Fey and um, Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox Jamie is Fox, great too. Yeah. I'm, I'm hit and miss on Jamie Foxx, but I loved him in this. Um, I didn't even, and for some reason, like it, it was like halfway through the movie before I was like, is that Jamie Foxx? Like, it, I mean, I, I can't even think of how I can be hit or miss on Jamie Foxx because I just don't think I've really seen him in that many things. I mean, Ray, which I thought was really good. He's in. I can't, um, I mean, can't he's think in of that many movies. He's in. Um, okay, but 
he was in that one on Netflix, Power, Project Power or something. Oh, yeah, I didn't watch that. He's in Miami Vice. I've seen him in enough movies that I'm like, yeah, I'm hit and miss on him. Yeah, like he's yeah. not always spectacular. Yeah, and it's <laughs> probably, honestly, I don't, I don't know if it's him. Like, it might be the roles, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously very capable. Yeah. He, like, came out the gate and was like, oh, yeah, I'm this, like, formally trained pianist. I can sing really well. I can play piano, and also I know how to act. Yeah, it's so random. Hi, like, his career is just, like, he had, like, the Jamie Foxx show, which, like, I guess got on that platform, but no one uh-huh. super paid attention to it. Like, it just didn't take off, you know? And then it was just, like, yeah, I mean, he came out with Ray, and it was like, oh, I'm going to win an Oscar now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nuts. People's careers. Funny. Um. Uh, I also, I've been reading a ton. I'm always really good at like certain times of year. In winter, I'm always a lot better. Um, and I've been like on a particular kick. Um, I think I've probably read like eight books in like the last 40 days or so, which is a lot for me. Um, I've finished... Uh, three already this month, just in January. Uh, but with that said, and I finished some really good ones. Um, I've been trying to like tweet a little bit more about them. Um, cause I know there's a lot of like overlap between movie lovers and like book lovers. Uh, and like I always talk about, I love thrillers and I'm trying to expand and read more, but, uh, like outside the thriller genre and get into like some other stuff. But, you know, I just love it. I get sucked back in. It's like me and slashers. I'm just like, well, I could watch this or I could watch the slasher movie. Or I could watch Scream again. Yeah, I'm a creature of habit. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Um, But I read a really fun one that had been recommended to me a few times and I like had had it on my wish list forever. Um, And I finally – somebody recommended it on Twitter for October. So I ended up putting up a hold. So I get all of my books now through the library. And that's also been a really excellent way for me to feasibly get my book goals in more realistically because I used to rely on Audible or purchasing books. And I just don't have the financial budget for that at the moment. You know, quitting your nine to five will do that to you. So I felt like a little staggered by that. And I, you know, also having a toddler running around, you just don't, I don't have a ton of quiet time that allows me to sit and focus on a book. Uh, And so audiobooks are pretty much like exclusively what I've been doing. Normally, it's like I'm a good half and half. Right now, it's basically audiobooks because I can have them on all day. Um, So with that said, uh, there's Someone Inside Your House by Stephanie Perkins. I finally got around to reading it. Um, It is – I mean, it's essentially a teen slasher in a book. Um. It's, which is not, I kind of went in blind. It's just one that I recognized the cover. It had been recommended to me and I finally uh, like pulled the trigger, started listening to it. I'm like, wait a second. I know these tropes. Like this is starting to play out like something I know. This isn't just a regular thriller. Um, I thought it was super fun. It is like, it's YA. Um, These are teen characters. They're in high school, but it it reads a bit more sophisticated than that, which I appreciated. 
Um, I'm a little hit and miss on YA these days because I'm the farther I'm getting from the Y part of being an adult, the harder it gets to like not get annoyed with the characters and be like, oh my God, like I just can like the intelligence levels of the characters' decisions versus mine can get so frustrating. Um, that wasn't the case with this one, which I was super happy about. Um, so the little synopsis, I'll just read it off for you guys because um, I have some exciting news related to it. Um, it's been almost a year since Wakani Young came to live with her grandmother, and she's still adjusting to her new life in rural Nebraska. Then, one by one, students at her high school begin to die in a series of gruesome murders, each with increasing and grotesque flair. As the body count rises and the terror grows closer, can Makani survive the killer's twisted plan? I mean, does this not sound exactly like something we would cover? on the podcast <laughs> they even say one by one it's perfect yeah no that's uh that is straight up slasher formula yeah so um it's a it's a great uh great super fun super fast read um it is also funny um you know as we discussed in the last episode like it's my birthday um i'm turning 29 and I, it's I'm pleasantly surprised at the character changes in books since I was the main audience for YA. Um, I mean, this character is like a black girl from Hawaii. That's like the main character. Um, she has like a trans, like one of her friends is trans, and very much a way of like that's just normal. Like she's just a character and it's not this big plot point in the story. Like it's just, yeah, she exists and that's great. And I love that. Um, I love just having queer characters exist in subject matters and it not always having to be about their queerness. Cause it isn't always about that. Um, they're, they're people outside of their, um, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's just really, it's just refreshing to just be like, oh yeah, like this is normal now. How exciting because I can't tell you, I can't think of one book I read and I read a ton in high school, especially why I read exclusively YA. I, God, I cannot tell you a queer character in just a mainstream book that I read. I remember seeking out books. I read like the rainbow Road, Rainbow Boys series when I was in like middle school and I specifically read it because I was looking for books that had like gay characters in it. Um, but anyhow, it was just refreshing. I read another one recently and it was the same thing. Like there was just like a handful of like queer characters. I'm like, what? This is all right. Like this is how you know you're getting old, but in the best way. Um, but the exciting news about this book is that, uh, Netflix picked it up. Mm-hmm. It's been made, it's been produced. Uh, it's coming out next month. Yeah. I was going to say so, it's soon, right? Yeah. So Feb- that's the release date I've heard. Um, our friend Becca, um, I know got to work on some of the, um, like producing aspect of it, like the creative producing. Um, I know she mentioned, being involved with this title. Um, so I'm excited to see it and I'm excited to have a new slasher to watch and to cover. Yeah. Always, always so, excited for new slashers. 
so yeah, if you like, so, you know, long, long winded story after that, if you enjoy reading the books before the movie comes out, read this one. There's someone inside your house by Stephanie Perkins because it's coming out next month. Um, and that's it. You know what? Uh, Perks, Perks had a gay character. That's the only, I was trying to think too. I was like, did I read any that had uh, like queer characters? See, I didn't read that in high school. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. You didn't uh, either. There's no way. When did that book come out? Perks, I read, ooh, it had to be close. Um, I thought, I really thought it came out when I was in like eighth grade, but I could be wrong. Oh, um, yeah. Actually, it is really old. 99. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I definitely read yeah. it when I was in high school. Oh, I remember reading it. it. Um, um, it just didn't get big until later, you know. Um, it mm -hmm. took a while for it to find its audience, but that had a, a gay, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure Stephen Chosby is is gay. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't want to speak out of turn here. We'll edit this out <laughs> if it's not true. Um, yeah, I agree. He means me. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, but that's one I could think of. So to pivot from <laughs> YA to the exact complete opposite of YA. Oh my god. Uh, the movie we're covering today is Torso from 1981. Um, no, 1973. 1972 to three. Thank you. Sorry. They had the old date in there. I was like, it's older than this. Um, the alternative title is in Italian. If you want to look it up, uh, I will tell you what the translation is. I am not even going to try to, um, say this, but the translation. You know how many Italian in your heritage, right? None. I'm, I'm like like 90% Norwegian and then like, I don't know what else, but no Italian. Um, but the Italian title translates to the body's bare traces of carnal violence, which is a line in the movie too. Um, that totally sounds like the song title of a band that we like listened to in high school when it was like, mm -hmm. you know, popular to have like really long song titles. That like didn't have any lyric resemblance to what's actually in the song. You're like, exactly. oh yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, that's I why. That. That's that's why. What I blame me never knowing the titles of songs too. I have songs that I've listened to like a million times, but I probably couldn't tell you what they are called because I've just learned to just not even pay attention. Fall Out Boy is my favorite band, and I still will be like, oh. if it's if it's off from Under the Cork Tree, or um, or Fully Ado, or Infinity on no, High, like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Or like Panic, I like again. A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is one of my favorite albums. Can't tell you any song except for. Um, I write sense on tragedies. I write sense on tragedies because it was Which so is, famous. Yeah, but that's still a like insane amount of words for a song title, and that's not a lyric in the song. Yep. Yeah, and there's like, I mean, there's get even more ridiculous. Um, but yes, that I do enjoy like. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, so, uh, this the Italian title is definitely like a pop punk song from the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's all those Italian titles are like really, really long. And I was they're, looking up a lot kind, of, the, but they're kind of cool, right? Like I kind of like them like that. I mean, they seem cool. Cause I don't know what they say. Um, I think I'm sure. I'm sure in Italian, it's a lot better than when you like then read the English translation. I remember this friend I had in um, in middle school, 
she uh, spoke Spanish, like, primarily. Like, her parents both only spoke Spanish, and she spoke Spanish. Like, that was her primary language, except for when she was at school. She, you know, spoke English, but, she like, she had a really thick accent, and, you know, she would, like, sing songs in Spanish all the time, like, when we were – like hanging out and I'd be like, oh, like, what does that mean? Like, I'd be so fascinated by it. And she's like, ah, like it does not. She's like, oh, it's such a beautiful song. Like, but no, like it doesn't sound good in English. And I'd be like, oh, but I want to know. And then she'd say it to me. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, that does not sound nice. That that reminds me, it's a funny, funnily enough too, um, when I came down to LA last year and I stayed with uh, or two years ago now and I stayed with our producer with Brennan um, friend and producer of the show um, Brennan has a very eclectic taste in music and we were driving around in his car listening and he listened to a lot of like international and he would show me songs and that was like one of his favorite things to do driving around in his car was showing me a song and they'd be like yeah this is about like someone's butt and I'd be like what? <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, but like, isn't it like a really pretty song? And I'd be like, yeah. And no joke, there are like six times he's like, isn't the song really pretty? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it, and then he'd tell me what it's about. And I was like, oh, interesting. And he's like, but it sounds great, right? And I was like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that just brought that memory to mind. Uh, our synopsis here, someone is strangling coeds in Perugia. The only clue is that the killer owns a red and black scarf and police are stumped. American exchange student Jane and her friends decide to take a break from classes by going up to Danielle's uncle's villa in the country. Unfortunately, the killer decides to follow and the woman begins suffering a rapid attrition problem. What is this synopsis? Like, I mean, I don't think they decide to take a break from classes. They decide to flee the killer yeah, by I escaping also, to the countryside. A rapid attrition problem. I'm doing air quotes right now. I love that they use that as a way of saying they start getting murdered. <laughs> that's fantastic i love uh, uh imdb yeah um that's i really enjoy that now i'm gonna be like from now on in in horror movies i'm gonna be like what's the attrition rate <laughs> oh that's good it's just fancy um so it came out in Jan- on january 4th 1973 so happy anniversary no way torso yeah how? How do we do that? We don't intentionally do this, by the way. It seems to happen all the time. We tend to be like really close to the release date. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just we just barely missed it. So what is that? Do that math for me. 70, 80, 90, 2000, 10, oh, 20, great. 50, 52 years. Holy shit. That's wild. Yeah, that is wild. Um, wild too, because most of which is great, most of these people are still alive who run this movie. Whenever now that we're like get into some of the 70s stuff and even some of the early 80s titles, like depending on the cast, I like get really bummed out when I look everybody up because I'm like, oh, this person died like a while ago. R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, so I did think it's funny. This, this So far, this has happened with every Giallo we've watched. Um, there's always some really weird dubbing stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but – uh, the company Joseph Brenner Associates uh, later distributed and recut and rescored a dubbed version as Torso in the U.S. Um, so it didn't hit. I don't have a date, but um, I think the next year in 74 is when it hit the States. 
Um, and it became a super successful film at the drive-in, which doesn't surprise me. Um, and was a double feature with Texas, um, TCM from 74, which I think is so crazy appropriate to pair those two films together. I mean, what that's like, that's a double feature that like I have to do now. Yeah, no, uh, that's a that's a rough double feature. That's why I mean, rough. <laughs> yeah, that's one we should we should, we would do with friends because that yeah, would be one of the ones where the, the mood. Be like, really, guys? What the fuck? <laughs> we no, have to do with Derek especially because Derek's so afraid. Our friend Derek is like legit terrified of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He always tells the yeah. story because he he went on tour with a band when we were younger. Um, God, we were probably in our, like our mid twenties, early twenties even. And they, when they got to Texas, he always tells the story how he drove because he was making sure they got through that state as fast as possible. Uh, it's scary. I remember taking a road trip up to Washington. Um, and there was like certain parts that we drove through that felt very Texas chainsaw mm-hmm. and like my mom and I always had this rule. So my mom was super into horror too. We always had this rule whenever we were to get on like long stretches of road, like we'd always stop at a gas station before to make sure like we were full on gas before we got on the road. Um, it was always sort of this like superstition that we did. Um, and I remember doing that because it gave off like Texas vibes. Yep. Um, I've never been to Texas. I don't know about that. Yeah, I've only been to... <laughs> I definitely have a feel of that state because of the, this movie for sure. Yeah, I've only been to Dallas, so I don't I don't know. D- before we go, did the version you watched, was it dubbed? Uh, I mean, yes, but not in English. It was dubbed in Italian, right? Yeah, there are certain characters, so... Uh, our actress Jane, who's the American, mm-hmm. um, she was a British actress, and they dubbed her um, so that she would be um, speaking in uh, an American voice. Interesting. Yes, but in their American speaking Italian. I. That's my guess. Because, but that I, was, but that, that was part sense. of the trivia. Is right. that. She, is that they dubbed her with an American voice um, artist named Susan Spafford. So Susie Kendall was a very famous British actress at the time. Um, and that's who played Jane and they, they dubbed her. So even in the version we watched, like I was confused because I was like, wait, why is this dubbed? Like this should be Italian. And they do a good job. You can only tell in certain parts it's a little rough. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all of her. Um, yep. I didn't realize until after I looked up. So it's only Jane that they dub. Um, which, I mean, I you would think that they could have changed the plot. Didn't seem super important that she was American. Um, but, I mean, whatever, you know. I just think, what was it? Um, was it Bay of Blood where like every other character was dubbed because they were all just speaking different languages? Like while the movie was being filmed, they just spoke whatever language. And then at the end, they just dubbed everybody. I'm like that's such a um, weird decision. It seems like so much work. Yeah, no. Uh, and it's funny because I didn't know that trivia going – I mean I didn't know until right now. But watching it, I could tell she was off, but only her because I kept watching and I was like – 
I was like, why, why is it just her that her mouth isn't yeah. matching up with the words? Cause I was watching everyone else and I was like, that seems fine. That seems fine. Uh-huh. Every time she talks, it's like, it was like throwing me off. Um, yeah. Yeah. So also always appreciate a movie having a, like be subtitled because it forces me to pay attention, which is nice. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. This I, is one I knew I had to like pay attention to. Because I was like, oh, okay, well, this is like a lay down in bed and watch this movie, um, which it, it's hard to do that. Yeah, I get distracted a lot. Like a lot of times mm-hmm. I, I have to put my phone out of reach. Sometimes I'll yeah. leave it in my bedroom and watch in the living room because I'm like, yeah, if I, if I need to pay attention, I, I don't trust myself enough. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's almost like a tick. It's not really something that you actually need or want to. You just find yourself mindlessly doing it and reaching for it. Like you can't help it. It's really frustrating. Um, no, I definitely do the same thing. I've started to keep my phone, even at night sometimes, I just plug it in in the living room. I just leave it out there. I just don't even bring it into the bedroom when I go to bed. Like, I don't need this. Like, I don't need an alarm. I have a husband and a baby for that. Like, it can be in the living room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we don't know about the budget or box office. It's always hard to find that data. Um, for movies this far back, um, and especially ones that are foreign, um, don't track box office in the same ways that we do over here in the States. So I don't know it. I will say, so I'm assuming the version I watched, uh, was the arrow remastered version cause it was gorgeous mm-hmm. and, I, I can't imagine that that wasn't the remastered version. If it wasn't remastered, then this film is just breathtaking in general. Um, but it 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 looked great. It didn't yeah. feel like a low budget movie to me. Um, take that for what you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you watch it on a Tubi? No, I watched it on um, Prime. Interesting. I watched it on a Tubi and it looked great too. Um, like, and I think you're right. I think it was the remastered because the colors in particular like really stood out to me, which I know mm-hmm. they do a lot of that color work on those remasters. So, um, yeah, Arrow did it in 2018, so I wouldn't doubt that that's how we have it streaming. I I don't know if it's on Prime or if it's on. We have the AMC package through Prime. Um, and so I'm not sure if it was available through and AMC, if you don't know, owns Shutter. And so often when you, we might even have Shutter titles like through our Prime too. I'm not really sure. All I know is that often horror movies I want to watch are available, and that's why we have the AMC edition because mm-hmm. I got tired of renting the movie when it kept saying like, or watch it on AMC, and I'm like, okay, I'll just pay for AMC because obviously I keep running into titles that I want to watch. Right. And I think so, a lot of the Arrow if, titles are just streaming anyways. Um, I, they're pretty good yeah. about that, I think. So, yeah. Um, so the movie, uh, again, another thing that's a little bit harder with these older films, um, the reception is disappointing for sure to read. Um, George Anderson of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette deemed the film – Another display of softcore sex and seamy violence that might better have been kept abroad. Um, okay. I mean, have you ever seen an action movie? Like, 
I don't even yeah. understand that. Um, hard disagree. <laughs> oh, super. I disagree with like, um, most of the older takes. Yeah. Uh, Joe Baltic of the Philadelphia Daily News wrote, blood, blood flows freely and limbs detach easily. Both wins in my book. Uh, and Sergio Martino is a torso, a disagreeable Italian import with, not surprisingly, little to recommend it. I mean, strongly disagree with that one. Um, I mean, I, I do agree. The blood flows and there's lots of detached limbs. He was right about that. Um, and then the Los Angeles Times, Linda Gross, wrote that the film was a lazy suspense movie with a disjointed and loose screenplay. I don't know what movie she watched, but I haven't been like this uncomfortable watching a slasher in a long time. It like yeah. was giving me like serious maniac vibes where I was just like, oh, like unnerved the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I will so, say. Yes. I don't know what's wrong with her. Um, disjointed and loose. Disjointed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't lacking of suspense whatsoever. It thrived in that category, I would say, for sure. Um, but what's really important is that most reception notes that because of the format of the film and specifically the cat and mouse of the final act, um, that it's it's been deemed a proto-slasher film, one that has recognizable tropes before the slasher was technically a genre or a subgenre, um, which is exactly why we're covering it. I mean, Giallo in general um, are are easy enough for us to cover in general because they relate so much to slashers. But so far, I was telling Ryan after I watched it, I was like, so far this is easily the one where it ticks off the most. Like I was like, this is full. Like I see so many influences in this. Um, and it's part of the trivia, but I'll mention it now because it's related to reception. Um Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of this movie. He showed it at one of his festivals in 1999. Um, Eli Roth stated it as his favorite giallo. Um, he actually got the composers to work with him on Grindhouse. Um, and he like credits this movie for inspiration for Grindhouse and Hostel um, Part 2. So he was extremely inspired by this film. Um, so it just goes to show you that like usually like people in the genre or horror, and you can see the influence of this movie in the genre 100%. So uh, screw all of those people from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and wherever. It's um, my two cents. Yeah. Like, I definitely agree that you see traces of slasher all over this um, with our killer, with the cat and mouse stuff, with um, some of the whodunit aspects. Like there's definitely like, it's so, so proto slasher. Um, and, okay. and also I can, t a hundred, I, without even knowing that quote, I could watch this movie and be like, I bet Eli Roth loves this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like such a Roth flick. It's uh, so now, yeah, because it's super physical, super um, like jarringly violent for sure, which is definitely uh, the type of like horror he goes for, which I think he does well sometimes. Um, he does very well sometimes. 
uh, and it's it's not done anymore. Um, we did have that like a splatter porn phase um, in the aughts, and we saw things similar to this. But I feel like we, we've gone a long time without kind of seeing films quite like this, and it it was jarring for sure. And I'm like, God, this is and and it's scary. It's scary to me. Like I find this type of horror like frightening. Um, and this movie definitely unnerved me more than a lot of the sort of subgenres that have been popular the last um, decade, I would say. So um, it just was kind of a weird and nice reminder that like I can still be freaked out by <laughs> horror movies. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. Like a lot of these um when they feel so real right like this killer Mm -hmm. and like his ski mask and he's got this knife and it's just like you know um it's got like a you know which b and i are very vocal about like we're not fans of true crime but like i think that's why movies like this freak us out because they're so close to true crime which that's why b and i don't like true crime it's freaky because Mm -hmm. it's real right so Mm -hmm. like seeing something like this yeah yeah I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I don't like that. I don't want to like walk home now. <laughs> like that's how it makes me feel. Um, so the poster, it's, it's hard for me to talk about this one because I don't have a ton of design knowledge in like Italian film posters or like really Italian design of this era in general. Um, that's not something that's really ever come across in my studies. So normally I can analyze these posters. Um, and talk about trends in the design world, trends in the film world, et cetera. So it's harder for me to do that. So just in, I won't go as in depth or make any kind of like judgments based on that because I'm as blind really to this as the average non-designer is. Um, So the one we're talking about, and we'll post it, you'll see it posted with the podcast when you go to our website, um, and we'll also post it on Twitter. Um, but it's the one that pops up like on Wikipedia and IMDb, which I can assume is like the main poster, the Italian poster. Um, again, with these movies that are this old, it's hard to hard to find what the actual like theatrical poster release was because um, there's usually so many versions. So this has the Italian title in it. Uh, it appears to be... Uh, in like the style of newsprint. So it looks like there's like a newsprint background and that the title of the film is like a headline. Um, It just has like, it's just not super stylized like a paper. And then all left aligned, you have your director. um, Well, actually you have your your producer, um, Carlos uh, Porti. I think that's how you say his name, who was like a notable Italian producer at the time, which is probably why they put his name like at the very top. Um, And then you have all of the cast sort of like going down and then at the bottom it says uh, who was directed by. And then you have the women cut out um, and sort of their final moments, like their screams or in distress and their, you know, it's printed out again where it's in black where it kind of looks like really faded like it's newsprint but then they've like covered it with red 
Um, so my guess is like the sort of the marketing direction of this was to have something along the lines of these women being like in the newspaper and this being like headlines and like big news of the time, which it was, that was a plot point in the movie for sure. Um, is that like every week they were finding out that one of their classmates was died, like died in the paper, um, comes up a couple times. So I definitely get like those sort of vibes from it, that direction, um, and sort of that grungy style where you literally like print the photo and then scan it and then like print it again to have it look like really distressed, sort of like an OG way of doing that pre Photoshop. Um, so yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't particularly care for it. It's definitely not a poster I'd want on my wall. Um, I don't enjoy how it's typeset. I don't really enjoy how it's set up in general. Um, as far as like a general design point, like your eye doesn't really know where to look. Like you go to the title first for sure. And then you kind of look at the girls, but then they lead you right off the page because they're all looking out instead of in. Um, and so you just kind of don't know where to go. Um, it's, yeah, it's for sure not, not my ideal poster design. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely interesting. It's, you know, the, again, like you said, it's, it's always hard to, I don't know what Italian poster design and things like that look like. So it's always hard to like gauge, but, um, I, the one thing I'll say is like, you know, I think it does fit tonally, um, uh, with the movie of like this kind of like real mm-hmm. life trip kind of feel right like this yes. this looks like which i think was the direction of it for sure which makes sense to me right like this looks like it would be one of the you know images on a serial killer documentary <laughs> like that's so i can totally understand like what they were going for uh, but i agree with you it's like not my favorite type and i mean that's why i love having you analyze these because as i as you were saying like they're all looking off so you look off like i totally do that they're all like looking away so it draws my eye actually out of the poster which is really weird mm-hmm. so yeah i mean you want to lead your eye with the design at all times and this one doesn't do that it doesn't we call it hierarchy it doesn't um follow the rules of hierarchy and yeah. So it's, yeah, like I said, it is, it's interesting. I'm not sure. The version that you usually see for uh, the title Torso, which, uh, you know, was probably done whenever it was put out on like DVD or something, because the cover kind of looks like that. Um, you see our masked killer in red and then in black and white, you see his hand carrying a, a saw, the same saw that he uses to, it's like straight up, just a still from the movie. And then within the saw, you see, um, Jane in sort of the distressed, um, facial expression and like the sexy nightgown, um, which, I mean, I think this still has an Italian, it still has an Italian look to me. Mm-hmm. It's still sort of like, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this looks like a giallo, especially because they're showing like the black gloves, which is a giallo uh, trope. Um, but then it definitely gives more vibes of like a slasher. Um, so like slightly more successful on that, in, in that realm. Yeah. Um, some of these taglines are so funny. 
There's so many. Right. You want to do the honor? The bottom, the bottom one's my favorite. Um, yeah, we'll start at the top. There's a lot. So uh, one day she met a man who loved beautiful women, but not all in one piece. Um, mm. Torso. It saturates the screen with terror. That's not good. I don't like that. Mm. Uh, saturate's too big of a word for a tagline. Um, a psychosexual killer is loose. Okay. Accurate. Uh, yeah, accurate. We dare you to keep your eyes open during ever every terror saturated scene of torture. Why saturated so much? Um, he'll love you to pieces, which I really like. <laughs> mm, torso <laughs> where whores meet saws. That's horrible. oh, that's oh bad. my god, it's so bad. Um, death is, yeah. is the best keeper of secrets, which that's a line in the movie. Um, lame. <laughs> uh, enter lame. if you dare the bizarre world of the psychosexual mind. That is a lot. Uh, I mean, that sounds that that sounds great for like an old school like drive-in trailer for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then B's favorite to preserve the surprise ending. No one will be admitted during the last ten minutes. Um, they used to do that though. Yeah. Like with movies, you weren't allowed in at certain parts because it would ruin the atmosphere of the movie. And I know that Hitchcock and Castle both were pretty big about like like things getting spoiled, right? And so they like wouldn't allow. Mm -hmm. Super big about that, yeah, um, and super big about advertising, advertising their films as like on the poster saying it will make you scream five minutes in the film and you won't be able to catch your breath. You know, using those types of this is how you will feel when you watch this movie, um, which is what this last one kind of reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Um, no sequels, doesn't set up for one. I don't think any of these giallos really set up for a sequel, though. They weren't thinking big. Mm -mm. I wonder if the sequel is an American idea. I don't know. I don't have that type of knowledge. Yeah, I should ask some, what some film friends and see. like, Because you, you would think a sequel is mostly motivated by money, right? Yeah, box office. Yeah, so hmm, interesting. Hmm, that's a query I, I have now that I need to ponder. I mean, what was the first big franchise? James Bond? Mm, maybe. When was the first Bond? Um, I don't know, I mean, like a hundred years ago. A hundred? It wasn't a hundred years ago. There's, there's only been like twenty-five James Bond movies, and you know, they. I don't know what was what was the first James Bond. Um. Yeah, uh, Your you Secret Service? No, 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 that's not it. Um, hold on, I'm gonna research this while V talks about the director. Okay, uh, so Sergio Martino is our director. Um, so he is uh, made a vast array of films in diverse genres, mainly horror, comedy, western, and sci-fi. Um, but he worked for over 40 years, 66 credits. What he is known for, which funny enough, um, when you look up the films he's known for, Torso is not one of them. 
Um, I didn't know. I've I've heard of Torso. I was I was familiar with this as a giallo. Um, it's definitely come up on my radar. But when I heard the director's name, it it didn't ring a bell. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because normally, you know, it's like Bava and Argento, and like you start hearing these like Italian directors' names and they stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's known for Hands of Steel in '86, he did Screamers in '79. Um, and these, of course, are all Italian. These are their American um, names. Um, a Man Called Blade in 77 and uh, 2019 After the Fall of New York in 83, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Uh, the first James Bond was in 1963, by the way, and it was Dr. No. So maybe that could have been one of the first like franchise films. Yeah, 63. That was almost 70, 60. How many years ago is that? 60 years ago? Yeah, 60. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Holy crap, oh. James Bond. You weren't yeah. like, I guess. I wasn't yeah. crazy off by saying 100. <laughs> that's weird to me, though, to think about. Wizard of Oz is coming up in like 80 years. Isn't that wild? Uh, yeah, I mean, that movie feels ancient to me. Yeah. Um, our writers are Sergio Martino and Ernesto Gastaldi. Um, so our director um, and then Ernesto Gastaldi, who graduated um, in direction and screenwriting at Centro, I'm not, I just can't speak Italian, guys. I'm sorry. He had graduated in 57 um, and then uh, got a degree in economy in 60, uh, or 57, and then got a degree in economy in 1967. And he wrote more than 100 movies. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Did he ever sleep? A hundred movies? I mean, if, if they were all written like this, it was pretty easy, I guess. Yeah. And a dozen novels. Damn. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, and again, like I'm sure two people have more varied cinematic experience than Rye and I would recognize some of those titles um, to save time in the podcast and you from having to listen to us butcher those names. Um, I scrolled through and none of them popped out as like any recognizable horror giallos that I saw right off the bat. So I just didn't include them. Um, But you'd like to know um imdb is there to serve you um so our score was done by um this is like so fascinating um god i suck guido and mariozo deangelis uh they like i mentioned before you'll find them on the soundtrack for both death proof and grindhouse um, they also have a band known as Oliver Onions. And I, I know this is just, oh, man, I love the internet. So uh, they're like a prolific duo of Italian musicians. They play multiple instruments. They're composers. They're singers. They're TV and film producers. Um, they were super popular in the 1970s and 80s as composers and as performing under Oliver Onions. Um, so they have a huge career. Um, and yeah, I I loved the score on this one. Um, oh, yeah. I, it was definitely like stood out right away. Um, and funny enough, I mean, we, we talked about this before where like the 80s had sort of this, the birth of the slasher and like the slasher tropes the 80s music and the score decisions, I feel like 
feel less like the genre than some of the later stuff um, and some of the earlier stuff. So sorry, that was a really weird way of putting this. Basically, this score felt very slasher to me. Um, it has really, it always felt serious. The only times it felt light, they actually used like a song from like an American musician. Um, and I mean, I think it was like an instrumental guitar, but you could tell that was a piece of music versus the score, um, which the eighties, some of those eight early eighties slashers, it was all kind of all over the place. Um, tons of building tension and dread, tons of moments of silence, um, big crescendos. Like it was, I just thought it was super great. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And like, you know, if you guys listen to past episodes, I'm not super like, I I don't like listen for scores. It's not my forte. Um, but when a score stands out, like, I feel like those are always like really powerful. I definitely like notice I noticed every Bear McCreary score, right? Um, and so, like, there's just certain ones that stand out to me. And, like, there was a scene in particular in this. I remember it was um, Carol's death. I was just, like, the when the music was going, I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, the score mm-hmm. is, is very, like – and like you said, I was like, it, it's, it feels like a slasher movie. Um, yeah. Totally agree with that. Uh, our cinematographer is Giancarlo Ferrando, who had 118 credits. These Italian guys just work horses. Mm-hmm. Like, props to all of them because to do this much content is just bananas. Um, also did Screamers in 79, so did that with Martino, and then did Troll 2 in um, 1990, which is notoriously one of the, the worst movies ever made. <laughs> Fancy that. Have you um, seen Troll 2? No. Oh, it's interesting. I played a drinking that's, game to it once, and I got trashed. <laughs> yeah, that's not part of my um, typical go-for type of horror no. movie. <laughs> um, so as we mentioned before, our final girl, uh, Jane, is played by Susie Kendall. Um, she was a super popular British actress in the 60s and 70s. Um, tons of credits. I mean, she was like a blonde bombshell. Um we might recognize her from the bird with the crystal plumage, which is Dario Argento. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Tina Amont plays uh, Danny or Daniela. Um, she's 57 credits. She died at age 60 in 2006. Um, she's known for mostly titles in the sixties, Texas across the river in 66 man, pride and vengeance in 67 Satyricon in 69 and Modesty Blaze in 66. Um, she was super young in this film. I think when I looked up her age, she was like 20. Um, oh, wow. super, super young. Um our doctor, uh Roberto, who pops up in the 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 final third of the movie, uh Luke Miranda. Um, he was remembered as like an Italian pulp cinema icon of the 70s. He was um, one of the top leading men of the. Come on, B. Uh, some, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Um, Polizio Tishi, P O L I Z I O T T E S C H I genre. Brandon, AKA, tell us what that is. I know. 
I need somebody with more culture on this podcast. <laughs> and that was a dig to myself as well. Don't worry. Um, AKA gritty urban crime dramas um, featuring dirty cops and even dirtier criminals. Um, he retired when those types of films stopped being popular. So it basically sounds like if he was strictly a slasher actor, like he ran out of work because slasher stopped getting made. Um, after the 80s. And that's basically what it sounds like happened to him. Um, and now he owns and operates an antique and modern art gallery. Um, but it looks like freaking Eli Roth managed to contact him and get him to do a role in Hostel Part 2. He plays the Italian doctor. It's the only film role he's done since like the 70s. Wow. So when I said Eli Roth really liked this movie, I meant it. Yeah. Um, John Richardson plays Franz, our killer. Uh, his biggest success was um, Don Chafee's One Million Years BC in 66 with Raquel Welch herself, um, which was a Hammer film. Um, and then he was in like a variety of things, uh, a lot of, I mean, all Italian stuff. Um, but he is in Black Sunday by Bava. Um, which I have actually seen. I do not – I mean, I could not tell you who he was in that movie, but <laughs> – um, He's also in um, Umberto Lindsay's uh, Eyeball, um, which is another horror movie, and Michelle Sova's The Church. Um, so, yeah, and a variety of things. Sort of our last person who was, like, in something kind of notable is uh, Roberto Bioschi, who plays um, – Stefano Vonzi, the one of our like red herrings, um, is Lord Paris in the 68 version of Romeo and Juliet. I think I've seen that and, one. like a variety of other things. I mean, I watched it in school. Okay. If it's the one we like watched in school, high school. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've definitely seen it. Yeah. 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 No, they did not show us Romeo plus Juliet. I wish. I, I remember about- that on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Even Romeo and Juliet, we had to get like a parent signature though, because Juliet's butt was in it. I remember uh-huh. that. Never yeah, forget because of their like <laughs> sex scene in the beginning. Yep, mm-hmm. I definitely had to get parents' permission. I was like fifteen too, which I think mm-hmm. is slightly ridiculous. Anywho, I definitely remember kids not being in class too because their parents didn't give them permission to watch it. Yep. Oh my god, this movie's from the fucking sixties. Like, are you kidding me? Like, good lord. Oh, yes. Um, And, you know, it's not a crazy big cast, um, but Ernesto Colley plays um, the street vendor, another one of our victims. Um, Angela Covello as Katia, one of the girls at the end. Uh, Carla Bright as Ursula. Um, Conchita RLD as Carol Peterson. she is a producer now and has been a producer in a million things. Almost all Italian, but randomly Duplicity from 2009, which okay. I mean, I would assume maybe because that's partially filmed in Italy. So mm. maybe they wanted like an Italian producer on it. That was my guess. I just made that up though. So don't like put, put that information out there. Um, that was my educated guess. It's a good guess. Um, Patricia... Yeah, Patricia oh, Aditori as Flo, um, our first victim. 
Luciana Bertoli as Peter, um, Flo's boyfriend, um, Gianna Greco as George, Luciano D'Ambrosis as Inspector Martino, and Carlo Algehero as Uncle Nino. Okay, I'm done. I can't say anymore. But also, um, that's the cast. I am actually done and done. <laughs> yeah, good job, B. You tackled a hard one. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This I'm is. So, I'm sorry. So sorry. <laughs> this is a Giallo and a Proto Slasher. So um, this is our third Giallo? Bay of Blood. Oh, uh, we did. Bay of Blood and um, the other one that was really good. Something red with the doll. Deep red, right. Um, Deep red. Yeah, so this is our third one. And then, yeah, you know, anything before... Anything before Carpenter's Halloween is pretty much going to be qual like qualified um, as a proto-slasher because that's the movie that codified the term pro um, slasher. Um, although I do, I, you know, you can make an argument that a couple of them, um, like, you know, the, the closer they are to Halloween, the more they feel like a true slasher. Um, mm -hmm. I will say, like, re-watching Black Christmas again at mm -hmm. the drive-in, I was like, this movie is, like, such a slasher. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, so the but those are the genres uh, that this would uh, fall under. Um, our killer is Franz. Who? Wait, that mask is white. Yeah. No. What do you mean? It yeah. Looks I thought it was pink. It's white. It's a white uh, ski mask. Okay. It's like white, white, white. I'm colorblind. I don't know why I'm seeing it as pink. That I was like, else is wrong with me. I was like, well, you're colorblind, but there's no color. So I'm not really sure you can use that excuse. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That kind of makes me worried. Anyways, white mask, uh, black gloves, and a red and black scarf. What is wrong with my eyes? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I thought it was like bright pink, like ski, like like spring breakers pink. Okay, I'm gonna send you a picture of the mask, like via text message, and maybe just in the movie, it was like fucking with your eyes. But okay. if you think yes. this picture is pink, then I'm I'm genuinely worried. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, his whole motive is he has trauma from watching his brother die, which he believes was the fault of the girl they were with, because his brother was trying to um, retrieve a doll that she had dropped and fell off a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. They were bartering for her panties. Yeah, I'm not trying to laugh at a kid dying. Oh, although that scene is fucking hysterical. Because um, the kid falling is like such a mannequin and you can just tell and it's just really funny. Yeah. Um, this made Franz see women who bring nothing but bad things for men. Franz also tells Shane that Flo and Carol seduced him and blackmailed him. Um, they were the couple, they were with him in the beginning. Um, and they had to kill Danny because she would have eventually remembered him in his scarf. Francis never wanted to hurt Jane, but since she knows that he is a killer, he must kill her to keep his secret intact. Um, and let's see, this ski mask, that looks white to me. Yes. Okay. okay so maybe, so maybe it was like, like lighting in the movie. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I feel better about your eyesight now. Yeah, I'm a little less concerned now, so that's good. Um, uh, yeah. So what do you think of Franz? Oh, Franz, um, uh, I mean, as a killer, he's terrifying um, because he's very merciless. And he's obviously 
a misogynist. I mean, he hates women um, and he takes yes. it out in the most brutal fashion, like the most brutal fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, his motive is, is like ridiculous. Right. But like even this motive and like the whole story behind it is so slasher. Well, like this backs, like, you know, past trauma um, that they carry with them mm-hmm. as their motive into the future um especially because it's family related with his brother like it feels so slasher but um mm-hmm. it's just like very it's it's whatever right like i mean i feel like it, like this movie has a lot of good things going for it like i'm not going to knock it at all like i like this movie but the story is not one of the things that is going for it yeah i yeah, agree. Love him as a killer. Find him really terrifying. I don't mind the motive being his inspiration for like hating women. Um, like obviously that could have been delved into a lot more. There could have been more with like his psychosis and how that affected him as a child. But I think they try and play into that more with like imagery um, and like with the other scenes just show you like how fucked up he is because of this like weird relationship between like women and the death of his brother. And also the fact that how he died was like bargaining with this girl over something sexual um, and like their desires um, and the fact that they like wanted to see her without her underwear on. Um, I feel like all of that played in. So I, I like that. I think it just could have been done better um and i agree like i love the fact that it was like this past trauma i would have it's funny because when you see it in like this proto way normally that would be our opening sequence is this scene with the kids and then we'd flash forward and we wouldn't know who that kid was grown up we would just know that it was our killer um and so it's it's interesting to see that influence there too where it's like, yeah, here's the piece that has been taken but not quite exactly the same, which I think is really fun. Um, but yeah, he's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Like I'm genuinely still a little like unnerved from, from watching this and like the way he killed the victims. Um, oh, yeah. It's freaky. It's and. Yeah. And his relationship like with Jane, um, again, all of this just feels like so crazy slasher for being like 74. It just seems insane or um, 73. Um, But the fact that like she was different and like he saw her as sort of like this anomaly among women and actually showed like genuine interest in her. And then when it comes down to the final scene, like him being upset about having to kill her, knowing that he has to kill her, like for his own sake, but that he's frustrated by it because here she is just being another dumb girl getting herself into the situation when she was supposed to be different. Um, And that's, I mean, that's the final girl trope right there, that you're this anomaly. You're not like these other girls who are having sex. You're you know, you're pure and strong and, you know, as problematic as some of those ideals may be, like the problems come from the killers themselves, which is him like idolizing her in this way. She's obviously not pure and perfect and, 
yeah, I just loved, I loved that whole like final scene with them. And I loved like sort of that exploration as well of him sort of like making this realization that, you know, she was supposed to be different and here he has to kill her anyways. And it goes right back to how he feels like all women are going to mess up and I have to kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he's definitely an effective killer. Um, And like you said, it's uh, one of those things um, that we're going to see carried over into slashers a lot. Um, And what, when was pieces made? Cause now I just keep thinking about how pieces actually does the, the intro scene like a normal slasher does. And I'm like wondering, you know, like when I'm wondering when that flip flop kind of happened of like revealing something at the end and then doing the, the, the reverse of it for a slasher movie. So um, it's just like, pieces is eight. okay so quite a bit after but i mean even in halloween we see the before as the opening scene we see like the childhood of michael and then how that affects the deaths later on in the movie so i mean i think we could probably attribute it to halloween itself making that switch and saying no let's put this prom night does it and that's 80 Mm-hmm. Or 81. So, I mean, the foundation of actual slasher switched it. It was always the the childhood trauma situation that inspires the killing you always see first. Mm-hmm. Um, My Bloody Valentine, same. Yep. It's in the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, Our weapon is a scarf and a knife. Uh, he uses the uh, same knife like his... The, the same knife pretty much the entire movie um it's like a serrated blade um and then he uses the scarf he's like he is actually listed like when you look up the synopsis and stuff he's listed as a strangler um as his like main motif mm-hmm. for killing um because he does usually strangle them to like he strangles a lot of them to death and then uses the knife to do like um post-mortis stuff um uh, I mean, he uses a knife as well, but like the strangling is a big, a big thing for him. And then he does a lot of his mutilation, like post death, which is even creepier. Um, and then I don't like it. No, it's yeah, it's it's all terrifying, right? Like, I I mean, it. yeah, he's. he's uh, do you know what is sad that you made that connection about it feeling like true crime? Is this is like that's I think why it feels so icky because it feels like so real. Like this is I mean, people have died like this because people are fucking crazy. Yep. No, and 100%. I don't like it. Um, what do you think of Jane? Well, I like her relationship, like I said, with Franz in general. I like that dynamic. And I think in those ways, she plays out the final girl trope through him. He like projects that onto her. As far as her, like a character as herself, we don't really see that path from her. Um, We see this film more as like this group of women we're not necessary. None of them are the women we're following. We're just following this group of girls who go to this school. Um, 
she tends to have like some standout scenes, but even like Danny, like seems like the final girl in a lot of the scenarios um, where, you know, this is her cabin that they retreat to the killers calling her. She's the one who's for like most of the movie. If we follow sort of Danny being the one who's trying to unravel this mystery um, and then Jane's her friend. And then sort of once we get to the house or once we get to like the travel situation in general, we kind of switch and f- tend to follow Jane a little bit more. But because mm-hmm. of the way they're telling the story, they're not using like a final girl to do that. They're doing this. They're using the group. Um, it doesn't quite feel like, you know, it, and again, this is a proto slasher. So we're not getting those, those exact journeys and, and play by plays. Um, I like once she does legitimately become the final girl and is the only one left alive, I do really enjoy what happens. Mm -hmm. I think she's super smart. Um, she tries a variety of different ways to get help to escape um all very clever the way she hides the way she tries to get help the way she fights back um all super smart all felt really really final girl-esque so i think especially for a proto slasher this is like a compare her to a lot of even just the normal slashers we've covered that sort of skip out on the final girl trope and they use a different storytelling method i mean this one's really strong mm-hmm. um i do notice that we get sort of that secondary um f- finish that we see happen a lot where it's either our final girl gets the redemption which is always the most satisfying that she can overcome the the killer that's been stalking her and her friends and her life or we get the you know the hero in arms essentially who's usually like the cop or the doctor or the boyfriend who i mean normally it's like a cop or a doctor but sometimes it's you know the friend or the boyfriend who then get to like rise up for her and be the final protector and we we get that in here which is a slasher trope for sure just not the one i like to see yeah um no i agree with you completely and i think um I actually thought Danny was her final girl, like leading yeah. into mm-hmm. the, where they're all in the villa. Yeah. Uh, but like, like you said, as soon as she does become the final girl, loved her. I thought she was incredibly right. resourceful, um, like really intelligent, like makes a lot of smart moves. Like she does not do any of the things where you're like, why would you do that? Like everything she does, you're like, yeah, that's what I would try to do. I love the move where she's trying to, she's holding the glass up. So someone from town can try to see mm-hmm. like the reflection, like, um totally agree with you that we again just get so many of uh, so much of the foundation for what a final girl will be um she just you know like you said we kind of skip a lot of her journey and her arc because danny carries so much of the bulk of the first mm-hmm. like half of the movie um so we kind yeah, they of- would have combined those two characters mm-hmm. we would have had yeah. like a crazy straw. I would have started arguing that this is even a proto slasher. I'd be like, oh no, this is just a straight up slasher. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so close. Like, it's yeah. so close. Um, yeah. Uh, we have eight kills. Um, obviously, 
uh, we've already discussed how you know the bro- the killer's brother w- uh, died. He fell off a cliff, and so that's one of the kills. Um, and then our killer dies as well. Um, our first kill is Flo, who is strangled and then stabbed right at the beginning of the movie. Um, which one was, was she in the threesome? No. Uh, so Flo and Sean are the ones who like drive off from the initial the initial school scene. Like you know, the plot again, like Ryan said, like the story itself isn't crazy important. It it really is a device to get us to these kills and to get us to the final scene. Um, you know, but essentially we're following these, these group of girls who go to this campus. Um, and the first girl we see go off is Flo. She's going off with Sean. They go in their car. They're out in the woods, parked in the woods. Uh, they are having sex. You know, she's talking. Remind you of town that dreaded sundown Yes. Oh my God. I was going to say that. Yes. Yes. So much. Yeah. Okay. So much. Um, yeah, it was giving me crazy, um, town vibes for sure. Like the whole time. Um, yeah. And just in general, sort of like that creepy again, uh, true crime, like Zodiac feels like, yeah, you know, the whole park your car and, you know, town that dread sundown was based on, you know, loosely based on like a real life killer. Um, I'm like not going to be able to go to bed tonight after talking about this. <laughs> this is like the only shit that freaks me out is the stuff that's like, I feel like could actually happen to me. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I'm going to be like getting the dogs on the bed. Like, all right, you're sleeping literally on top of me. Anywho. So, you know, we get this like really creepy and like really true to form. Like the, the kids are having sex and they're, they're going to die for it. Um, Sean hears something, he gets out, he goes to investigate Taylor's oldest time, he doesn't come back, Flo hears something, here comes our killer. Um, and Sean, I we don't see on screen die, I don't believe. Um, I think we just see in the paper that um, his throat was slit. Yeah, because he kind um, of just disappears. Yeah, he disappears. So this is sort of like the start off of our um, film and also like the investigation and the whodunit is like now they had introduced in that scene sort of all of our our potential killers. So it could have been the guy who sold the scarf, um, the street vendor who was like acting weird. It could have been um, freaking uh, what's his face. Uh, which I actually realized I missed in the kill counts. So there's nine kills. Um, Stefano. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I missed him. Talking, uh, Danny. Yeah, Danny, um, who's like has a scarf uh, from this vendor and is like, Danny's convinced he, she only took that, he only took this class with her to like be near her. And she's like, thinks he's really creepy. Granted, the class that they're taking is taught by Franz. He's their professor. Um, so that's how all these characters uh, relate. Uh, and then also, you know, it's alluded to the fact that it could be Franz as well, but they definitely don't point to that direction as much as they point to the other people. Um, and so then we just sort of like go back and forth with our characters of them Um like opportunities for us to be suspicious of these red herrings and then opportunities for people to get ki- to get killed. So Carol is our next victim. She's the one who does the threesome. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then as she's leaving um, this like sexual uh, experience, she gets chased in these like marshy woods mm-hmm. and it's freaking terrifying. That scene was crazy powerful, like such a standout for sure. Um, she is stalked and chased by him, strangled, um, drowned in the marsh as well. And then this is where like, they're like doing this very Italian imagery flashbacks to, like the doll and you know which we then realize like why um this doll is so important uh and he like gouges her eyes out um as if she were a doll um yeah that scene um i literally out loud went oh fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and you know it's that's always wild to me after i don't know how many horror movies have i watched at this point can't even number them you know like if if a movie still has that that ability to make me go like oh shit like especially something made in 73 i'm like mm-hmm. okay like this is going for it that mm-hmm. i agree with you that that scene is um really scary <laughs> like it's so super scary. like so texas to me it is and it feels like one of those standout scenes where like when you look back on like the slasher genre in general, you can think of specific kills, right? Because that's what the slasher genre is fueled by is the kills um, and the killer and the final girl. But really, like, the whole story moving forward is these kills. You know, we always are going to think about, like, the raft scene from the burning. You know, like, there's always going to be these iconic kills. You're going to think about, you know, um, the sleeping bag kill from Friday the 13th. Like, there's always going to be the – the uh, bed kill and nightmare or, you know, with the blood, uh, Uh those images just stay with you forever. And that's how this is going to be. Like, I feel like anybody who's seen this movie, like it's just, it gets like embedded into you as just one of those kills that will never leave you. Uh Um, and instantly, like, as I watched it, I'm like, Oh, this is one of those, like, (laughs) yep. Um, so yeah, Carol is our our next victim, and this is when um, things start escalating. The girls are getting super worried. Um, Danny is now convinced that it's um, Stefano. Stefano. There's this scene, like you know, it's Italian and it's the '70s, and I get that the times were different. There's a lot of lines and uncomfortable parts in this movie that you know are not. PC and do not age well. There's this whole scene with Stefano that they use to try and like make us suspicious of him where he like essentially can't get it up with a um, sex worker. And she basically yells at him and says like, are you gay? Are you impotent? Like what's wrong with you? And because she says that he hits her. Um, and he Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is like, oh, okay, wait, like he's really violent and like there's sexual stuff going on. So like they're really trying to like divert you or like lead your suspicions um, elsewhere. Well, especially uh, like this is where we get like the police become hardcore investigating. Like they go to the school. They're like telling the students, like, if you know something, you need to say something. Um, and then even like, so our next kill is Gianni Tommaso, who's the street vendor. Um, 
but like even he like he knows who who it, or he suspects who it is because he like calls them and he's like if you want me to stay quiet i'm gonna need a million lira um to like stay quiet and so like this is hardcore when the like who done it aspect mm -hmm. starts coming in hmm. Yeah, um, Danny realizes that the scarf that gets brought in from the police, she's seen somebody wearing it before. She knows she has, and she can't remember who it is. She thinks it's Stefano, and this is where she's getting like 100% uncomfortable that it's him. And she's like telling Jane, it's like, it's him. He's got the scarf. Like, I know I saw him wearing it. Um, and she gets a phone call that, from our killer that basically says, um, you know, you need to keep quiet about what you saw. Like you didn't see anybody wearing a scarf and you know, that's when they decide to leave. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then our street vendor, he is like, instead of getting paid out, the bribe didn't work and he gets crushed by a car. Um, so our killer literally runs him into the wall, uh, with the car. Yes, he was brutal too because the, the he backs yeah. up and slam, slams into his head and like the practical effects they used on the head were pretty pretty effective especially yeah. again for 73 it was like it was particularly brutal yeah no it's yeah the whole thing like every kill even when not done uh like against a woman in sort of this like really aggressive sexual way is still like crazy violent um, this is when, uh, Danny like decides like her uncle suggests that they get away to the country and just escape, get away from the killer and like be able to relax and, um, you know, not have to worry why the police investigate. And so, um, she gets, uh, Ursula and Katya, um, the like part of like their crew, they are, I mean, you can assume they're dating. I mean, they have multiple like sexual scenes together. Um, but whatever the relationship status is, they're like together. Um, and then she, you know, wants Jane to come. Jane is like, for some reason convinced that she needs to like clear Stefano's name first. And so she's like, you guys go up. I'm going to like make sure I'm telling you it's not him. And I'm going to like make sure that it's not him. And they go to, she like goes to his place. This, this whole part of like the movie, like kind of confused me. Um, Cause like she finds this letter like to Danny, like on the dresser and it like seems really creepy, but also the doll is there. And, like, I feel like I missed something. Like, I don't know why, like, the doll is there. Yeah. I don't I, know, actually. I didn't even think of I that. I don't know if that was, like, some connection thing I missed or I, I just wasn't paying close enough attention. as very possible. But basically she goes there and then she realizes that the scarf – and this is – this is probably the silliest part of the movie to me. She realized that the scarf is black and red and not red and black. And even yeah. as somebody who's literally taken a class in college called color theory, um, I was like, oh my God, the what? You're are you kidding me? Like, I just thought that was so like ridiculous. Like, like make it a different pattern or something. We're gonna be like, oh, this one was his is red with black 
on it. And this is a black scarf with red on it. But the pattern was nearly 50-50. I don't know. I was just like, sure. But I had a hard time with that because I was like, I'm not seeing a difference, but whatever. So that was like the big exciting moment. She can clear Stefano's name. It's a different scarf. It's black on red instead of red and black. Um, and so she makes her way to the like the little country town um, where the climax of our film happens and everything else unravels. Um, also, um, how many peeping toms are there in this movie? <laughs> like, I mean, I know we have our peeping tom who's actually killed, but like the uncle is peeping on people. Like, men are just like constantly leering at women in this movie. Like, yeah, and like again because of the age of this film and the fact that it's Italian, like I can't like comment on the climate at the time like was that normal are they making a commentary about like society like i don't know but basically as soon as they get to the village it's just non-stop like demeaning and really uh crazy comments made towards the women about they how they look um, like wives are like hitting their husbands for just like staring at the girls. Like once they arrive, like every scene is just like weird goggling over these mm-hmm. women. Like they've never seen a female before. Right. And well, and we have like, we have lesbians in this movie. Um, although mm-hmm. they are like, when you look it up, they, um, they are described as lipstick lesbians. Um, but that's who, like, the people in Tom looks at. Uh, it means that they're not butch. Oh. Like, basically, it just means it's a more feminine woman. Um, so it's like, yeah, the, the, like, it's funny. Every time, like, I was researching it, and it, it points it out, like, numerous times that they're lipstick lesbians. Um, so, yeah, like, so still appealing to the male eye is what they mean by that. Yeah, that's the implication, right? Um, but, like, yeah, right. there's just lots of, like, leering eyes in this. And I think it does say something about the time of, like, you know, horror got um, stereotyped for a reason because sex and murder sold. And so, like, you know, I think mm-hmm. like, even even that plays into the slasher aspects here of, like, yeah, sex and murder sold. And so, like, we're going to have this, like, kind of flimsy plot line, but, like, move it along with either sex or death. Right. But, but yeah, lots of really just creepy men in this, in this movie. One of them, I'll just say it now because like we happen to be talking about this scene, but well, actually we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but remind me, my favorite quote is from one of the lovely creepy men in the village. Um, so ridiculous. Um, so the girls arrive on the train and there's like this handsome man who is like our newest red herring that gets introduced. You do see him like in a scene earlier in the movie, like in the village, but we're never introduced to like who he is. And then he pops up on the train. And then when we get to town, we realize like he's the doctor there. Um, the girls get to town. They like are going to take a, this like tractor ride. They've like negotiated with the like 
grocer to drop off like fresh milk and food every morning. Um, and then they're on their merry way um, up to the house. And then Jane comes up later in her own car. And then she has, I forget what happened. Something happens to her car. Like she has like car issues or something. And she has to drop it off to the shop. And they're like, oh, well, we won't be able to look at it until, um, which is like ends up being a very important plot point. Like we won't be able to look at it until tomorrow. So we'll just drive you up to the house and you guys can come down to, to come down to town tomorrow and you can get your car. She's like, perfect. They drive her up. All of her girls are at the house. We're introduced to this doctor who's like, you know, definitely looking at the women like, oh, like leeringly, just like everybody else is in town. Um, and there we are. We have the peeping Tom looking in at Ursula and Katya, our quote unquote lipstick lesbians. And he sees our killer. He sees the killer that with the knife and mm-hmm. runs and we have this whole chase scene with um, – this peeping Tom and our killer. Um, and we get this like suspense from that moment. And he ends up, um, he stabs him. Does he slit his throat? Yeah. Um, he's like hiding he's in that like throat. shed. Um, I thought that scene was yeah. funny too. Just the way he sees him. Cause he's like, <gasps> and then he keeps running and like grabbing at a wall and going, <gasps> like, yeah. he, no, he's like, like very surprised. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's like oh okay yeah man with knife scary please run keep running don't stop um and yeah so then we get to then our killer comes back to the house the girls are like doing their thing jane um has like sprained her ankle like falling down the stairs earlier in the day And so she's, like, been put to bed, and the doctor comes, and so he, like, comes up to the house, and this is where we start to, like, get even more suspicious he could be our killer because now he's up there with them. Um, And he's like, here's some pain meds. Take these. I'll knock you right out, Um, which my radar was like, don't take them. Don't take them. Don't take the pills. Don't do it. Um, Yeah, they're they're strong pills because she sleeps through – murder (laughs) through murder yeah so she drinks and takes the pills and our jane is out for the night Uh why she slumbers Uh, do you remember how she sprained her ankle too i just want to point it's funny she sprains her ankle because she yells at the girls to come inside because she notices that the milk and bread delivery guy is staring at them naked sunbathing and then she runs downstairs to meet them and falls down the stairs Mm mm-hmm Another, like, really awkward, like, not done well, but they needed that to happen to, like, further the plot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it, like, it felt so silly in the moment. And then, like, once you realize the consequences of it, like, it makes sense. But you're like, oh, all right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So then, like, the girls are downstairs. They're still partying uh, while Jane's asleep. And they see a knock on the door. And... It's um, Stefano and, you know, remember we're not, we don't suspect him anymore. Like he's in the clear. So they open the door. He is actually dead. The killer is behind him. He comes in 
and kills our girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jane wakes up um, and comes downstairs and like is looking for everyone and finds all three. So all three of these girls die off screen, actually. Um, I guess technically Danny dies Danny, on screen. Yeah. Um, because she's dying in basically in Jane's arms, um, like grab it, grasping at her. And then Jane has to hide while the killer comes in, and the killer dismember, dismembers all these women with a fucking bone saw. <laughs> like, oh, uh, it's, 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 brutal. yeah. Why, yeah. And why Jane is just like hiding. And like, I loved this part too because she covers her ears. Mm-hmm. And, that just felt like so raw and so real to me because I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like it's one thing to have to like hold your breath and not be heard, but to like hear the sound of your friends and like their bones literally being sawed up. Like thankfully the closest thing I can relate to that is like being awake for dental stuff and you can't feel anything, but you can hear the drill like shaving off your teeth and it's just like the worst sound in the world and you just want to not be able to hear it even though you can't feel anything like i just related it to that moment where it's like yeah the sound is worse than like anything else yep <sighs> another just like crazy like not realistic but like it felt like a very real moment like a very logical response which made it so scary and uncomfortable yeah. And it's quiet and it's long. Yeah, it is really long. Um, like this whole final part. And then like once he leaves, this is when Jane is um, like she realizes that she needs to like get help. Um, so she's doing these numerous things to try to get he's locked attention. Locked her in the house, the house too. Yeah, he's locked, she's locked in the house. Um, she doesn't have her car. Um, so like um, this whole scene is – it's kind of interesting. It's, it feels a little drawn out because, like, she's in the house for quite a while, and then we're flashing back and forth between, like, the doctor um, and then, you know, um, uh, who's the guy who comes up? Roberto, I guess. Is is he the doctor? No. Who who comes up to save her? Yeah, Roberto, the doctor. Oh, oh it is Roberto. Okay. Um yeah, there's this whole, like, interesting thing where he has, like, an interaction with someone who's like, yeah, I went up to the house and no one was there. And he's like, and then he feels like he needs to go check up on, like, on them. So he goes up. Um, and then, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier. Like, there's basically this whole final scene where she realizes it's Franz and he tells her exactly why he's doing the things he's doing. And there's this kind of, like, um, chase scene where um, Franz gets... Um, like he gets very close to killing Jane and then Roberto comes in and kind of like saves the day. Um, and Franz ironically, and I guess, you know, in a poetic way, um, poetic, yeah. Yeah. Falls off a cliff and that's how Franz yep. dies. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny. Like the, I like a lot of the end, but I do think it's a little drawn out. Um, and there are parts yeah. that I think it it should be like like you said, like the 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 bone saw part, like in particular, like it makes it more terrifying. Yeah, um, but like the whole final chase and stuff, I feel like takes a little bit. Once Roberto shows shows up, it's drawn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. For sure. Um, B, what was your favorite kill? Um, I mean, yeah, we already kind of talked about it and I gave it away, but it's for sure Carol. I mean, that's like, 
just chilling in every way. Visually, it's stunning. The way it's filmed, um, like the type of like the chase, which feels very much like uh, like real life, the way it's filmed. Um, the fucking score is impeccable. It's incredibly well acted. The kill itself is just extremely physical and jarring. And it's just, yeah, it's just really good and really disturbing. Yeah. Uh, Carol's my favorite too. I agree with you. Like everything. It's when I noticed the score, the lighting was magnificent. Mm -hmm. Like the camera work. Um, it's just a very, uh, very powerful scene. Um, yeah, very good. Um, and very, it's going to stick with me forever. Like I'll always, mm -hmm. that will be when someone brings out torso, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that scene in the woods. It's just yeah. like brutal. Um, B has a favorite quote from this movie and yeah. I can't wait for you to say this. I know. I'm so excited. So, uh, in the part of the movie, our killers actually left the house. He thinks he's killed all the girls. He doesn't know Jane's there. Um, Franz goes back down and due to the lovely, which I feel like this can't, maybe it was a coincidence. This, this does truly feel like all intentional, like having these like peeping Toms and guys who are like obsessed with these like beautiful young women. He comes across these men who are, are they're essentially drunk in the streets of the town talking about how they're going to go up to the house and have their way with the women. Um, they say lots of gross, inappropriate things. But what just absolutely stuck, uh, stood out to me, and I just laughed out loud, um, is one of the guys proclaims, like, yeah, I'm going to go up there and, like, I'm going to get her pregnant. And the other guy said, what do you have? Sperm vision? Oh, I about died. I really hope that's like exactly what it meant in Italian too. And it's not just like a funny American translation because good Lord, that's my new favorite thing. Yeah. What do you have? Sperm vision. That's, uh, that's, uh, the world's most useless superpower. Yeah. Sperm vision. I mean, it's not if, not if you want to have a family. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's one of Superman's many powers that you forget about, like um, frost breath. And uh, I don't know. He also has like strong breath. He just blows really hard. That's a real power, by the way. That Superman has. That was in the show, I'm pretty sure. Not small, yeah, though, but like the Lois and. Clark oh, yeah. Lois and Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yep. sure he used to like blow on people. Yep, you are definitely right. He did use his like strong breath or whatever. I don't know what it, what they call in the comics. I know it's not strong breath, but that's she can tell Ryan's like a really is. big fan of Superman. Yeah, um, I, yeah, Superman sucks um, unless he's written well, which is rare and few and far between. That's a whole different podcast, though. Um, so at the end of every episode, we do rank our movies, uh, which you can find at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, this will be our 73rd movie. Holy crap. We're getting close to a hundred. Um, yeah, well, I'm going to keep saying it until we had a hundred. Um, <laughs> it's going to be true every we, week, even truer. Yeah. Uh, 
we do um, do like with these proto slashers, it's always a little different than the, in the giallos because we kind of look at them and evaluate them on a slasher level, but also more importantly, how they influence slashers. Um, and after listening to us for the last hour and a half, I think you know that we obviously think this movie had a great influence on slashers. Um, so it's not what I was expecting when I watched this movie um Mm-mm. at all i was expecting just like brutal like kind of like just really kind of almost like sleazy giallo kills yeah and then i watch it i'm like holy fuck all right so i'm looking so deep red is 44 um where is the other one where is bay bay of blood? Blood is it's pretty high yeah yeah deep I red put this has... than bay of blood right this yes yeah because bay of blood has really what you can see the influence of bay and blood is like the throwing a group of teens together into a fun situation um that movie is like really bonkers and silly and feels like an 80s slasher movie for sure and has some really fun creative kills that like use the environment and like straight up friday like used one of the kills um so it's like you can't watch that movie and not see like those like crazy influences but in a much lighter way Mm -hmm. where this Uh, film feels more foundational in the way that we were surprised when we watched like my bloody valentine and we're like holy shit like this movie's like the blueprint. Like how how do we not talk about this more? And mm-hmm. you're like kind of surprised by it. That's how Torso feels where it's like once you start going into all the things they do that feel like slashers, you go, yeah, it does that. And then it also you can see how the genre either kept it and used it or like said, that's good. Let's switch it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the question is where, like, if we put it above Bay of Blood, that puts it at, I mean, potentially our new number 19, but then you have to start looking, like, do you think it's a better slasher than Hatchet? Do you think it's a better slasher than Valentine? I would argue it might be, here's what Hatchet and Valentine, like, have over it obviously are it has they have the blueprint so they do like the past trauma right in the beginning of the movie that we carry well actually hatchet doesn't um valentine does yeah hatchet doesn't have valentine's like a a, um, definitely more of like an 80s blueprint than hatchet is yeah hatchet actually follows closer to this where we find out about the trauma later on Mm -hmm. um because we get the backstory and everything um so i think we could even almost make the argument that it would go above hatchet yeah the thing with this movie for sure like you see see the influence that it had and then you also notice that like it is still lacking the the biggest thing that feels not like a slasher which is you know you can and i mentioned it earlier and you'll see it much lower down the list like maniac um, from mm-hmm. 1980, where you have more of this true crime-esque feeling killer. Right. Um, where instead of this sort of otherworldly killer, mm-hmm. um, which you have 
even in our non-supernatural, you know, killers, even in like Harry Warden, like, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's a bad example because you can kind of argue that maybe the killers are like slightly supernaturally influenced by <laughs> Harry Warden. Um, so let's say in like Texas, you know, Leatherface mm-hmm. is not supernatural. Right. Um, he, but he is like this entity of his own that feels otherworldly. And right. that is very much what our like slasher tropes have become. Either they're a normal person seeking revenge. And then when they become the killer, they're very much this like crazy otherworldly presence that sort of defy logic. Um, and you don't feel that in this one. It feels much more raw and realistic and like visceral, um, which isn't necessarily a slasher trope. That's a trope of just horror and like whodunits and thrillers in general. Um, right. So we. Yeah, that's true. We definitely like, and our killer's memorable, but like, you know, Hatchet, like Crowley is, mm-hmm. like you said, he's that supernatural kind of like otherworldly kill. I mean, ha- Crowley truly is supernatural mm-hmm. too. Yes. Well, I mean, a lot of these are. Um, I mean, some of them don't end up being, or we don't find out till later. Um, but m- most of our slasher <laughs> killers end up having some type of supernatural entity to it. But on the other hand, this is where this gets really complicated. You can look at it more on the like realms of urban legend, where you just have somebody who's like in this circle of people, like our killer is, who then goes to like exact revenge, um, and in a scary and menacing way think and i mean they're masked he's masked like mm-hmm. it just feel it feels less theatrical mm-hmm. which i think is why it feels like like his kills in general feel less like a slasher because even when we have just a normal person in a mask like ghostface which we haven't talked about but or like in urban legend, the parka, you know, that's just a regular person in a parka still feels like theatrics. Um, Same with, I know what you did last summer, regular guy, kind of, (laughs) I'm, you know, and he's just like in a fisherman's costume. Um, Right. But that feels I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Is like something. No, no, I do. do. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking and like I I don't think the only question I have is does it go above Hatchet because I I start looking and like Valentine's Day, Tri- Cherry Falls like I'm looking at those and like I don't think it does slasher better than those movies. No, do, right? those movies are like true slasher. The, yeah. the difference I, is I, I only one. did Torso influence the genre enough like Black Christmas um, to be more important than those or even Happy Death Day where it switches the genre up and that's why. Um, And like you do see the influences, but obviously because of the fact that it's Italian, because it's a giallo, because it is in 73, like it it doesn't quite – I don't know. It's hard. Honestly, I think we could probably argue it either way. I agree with Mm -hmm. you um, that I think having it in this range is fair. Um, I I, I think – 
I think I'm okay with it being above Hatchet, and I'll tell you why. Um, it does a lot of things similar, actually, like um, with like the trauma being revealed later on, which was like not something that would normally be in a slasher film. And then also what it does do, though, that Hatchet doesn't, um, is we have a final girl. And Hatchet does, but it like it like we follow a male the entire movie mm-hmm. and then it switches it up so that our final girl leads into the sequel um and she becomes the final girl for the sequel and then the third one and i think even the fourth one um right, but we like, don't get that in the first movie exactly so like i almost like that that's like where i'm like looking at does it go above hatchet because like the what are the trade-offs right like and so while hatchet is like a very count by the number slasher of like this killer is going and we get these really fun over the top kills um and we get this like very memorable killer um at the same time we also don't get our final girl arc and then even when you start breaking down like certain things it's like the familial trauma from Mm -hmm. the past is, is similarly explained um although i would like yeah no like pretty similarly explained it's just like it's like you said this feels so true crime it's hard to like it's hard to like draw those comparisons perfectly. Um, but I, I, I think I'm leaning towards it being above hatchet and then below Valentine, but I want to know what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, and granted, God, it's been like three years since we watch hatchet now. Um, it's been a while for me to remember like the exact scenario, but even I think that might be better. Like a general overall feeling is hatchet very much just is like a hack and slash, um, mm-hmm. where you're not really getting, which I mean, are great slashers. Like we love to see that. But when we're talking about like being a slasher, which is what this list is and like following these like formulas and tropes and doing them well and doing them like creatively, um, and bringing something to the, the slasher genre, Um, That's what we look for to make like this like best of slasher list. And I think that Hatchet just ends up being a little bit too like generic on that end compared to Torso. Where I can still look at Valentine and Stage Fright and Cherry Falls and see like ingenuity in the way they do the killer and the way they do the kills, the themes, um, they just play so much with it strictly from the blueprint, right? They needed the blueprint to be able to do that, but they're doing it better, which Mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. Okay. So you want to put it as our new 18? Yeah, I think that's great. Cool. So yeah, this is a torso will be our new number 18, right in between Valentine and hatchet. Now, Number one is still Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984 with My Bloody Valentine from 81 and Black Christmas from 74 rounding at that. And then the bottom is the two April Fool's Day and Girls Night Out. Um, eventually, we'll get a movie as number like 71 and we won't have to talk about Girls Night Out ever again. Uh, so that'll happen one day. But we'll just have then. to watch something we know that's uh, not very good. It'll happen. I mean, for that reason. It, We'll get there. I'm I'm confident. <laughs> I'm confident uh, all of it. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to watch this movie, like we said, it's on Tubi or on Amazon. And then the new the movie that we're covering, because if we know we like to fill you guys in, the next movie will be Dark Ride, which is also available on Amazon Prime right now. Um, so if you want to 
Yeah. So if you want to watch that one, um, you can find that there. It was one of the um, Films After Dark series. So um, that will be the next one that we are covering. And then until then, keep screaming.